I can't talk over. It's too catchy. Uh, America was obsessing with putting things in their proper place, hence the McDLT experiment. Kept the hot side hot and the cool side cool and fucked the Whopper because the, its lettuce and tomato got soggy. It turned into one of the biggest shitstorms McDonald's ever had to deal with. Styrofoam was becoming a sore spot for environmentalists, and McDonald's was literally putting tons of it into landfills. Didn't last long. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And the diarrhea came out the same temp. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> Uh, so fuck the McDLT because maybe some people like their lettuce and tomato slightly warmed. So Hollywood and me, me. No, not you. Regular Hollywood <laughs> and Music Hollywood got together and said, hey, why are we keeping the hot side hot and the cool side cool? Look how much everyone loves the Whopper and hates the McDLT. Everything must be merged. We must do the same thing with music. Yeah, like in Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Yes, people love those. Chocolate and peanut butter together. Great right. musical reference. But there were socioeconomic... It's a great food metaphor. <sighs> there were socioeconomic anxieties to be overcome as citizens of suburbia, America's LT. Their greatest fear was winding up in America's McD, Erbia. Crime was at an all-time high. Rock was resurging. Hip-hop was rising. The McDLT was failing. Dennis Leary and Emilio Estevez and Cuba Gooding Jr. Steven Dorff. Jeremy Piven. They could open movies. Conditions were just right for the cultural tornado that plowed through America, destroying everything we knew was true. Finally blending hip-hop and rock and roll for good. That tornado was given the name... Judgment, Judgment Night! Yeah. Yeah. You guys wrote things you wanted to say. But I didn't really want to say, say them. I just, you spelled judgment wrong yeah, for the entire document. In our internal document, Steve was uh, spell checking and calling people out for spelling judgment wrong. Judgment I, is spelled J U D G, no E, M E N T. Oh. I, I think technically it's, they're both right. Technically. The preferred. Not in America. The preferred spelling is the way Steve did. But if you're searching for this album on Spotify, you have to spell it with an E mm -hmm. in order to. To find it which is mm -hmm. not what it says on the cover of the album it does not and also the same thing for any part of the internet hey welcome to beyond yacht rock record club the judgment, judgment night, night soundtrack beyond yacht rock mm, come a little hot Welcome to the Beyond Yacht Rock Podcast, the real podcast that makes up arbitrary musical genres and counts down the best hits in those genres. Since this is episode 55, we're going wild in the fives. And instead the first of, one of the year. Instead of uh, making up a genre, we're going to do something a little different, and we're going to talk about an entire album that we really like. We're going to judge an entire album. Yeah, we're going to judge the entire album. It's rappers versus rockers today. And it came uh, up, you know, we're doing the 50 songs and 50 soundtracks for our mid middle segment. It came out because we couldn't decide which song from Judgment Night to talk about, I think. Is that how it came up? No, it's just a good album. It's yeah. worth looking at. Because I kept talking about it. Hunter talks about it too much. So, I think it's the only CD in your car. 
What happened to your talking? I don't know. Did yeah, I can't hear you. Oh, talk again. Hey, here I, we go. I, turned ah, your, I turned your mic down instead of the music. That's uh, <laughs> that's more power than you should have. I know. Tell me yeah. about it. Okay, <laughs> listen, power. Listen, um, just power. Fascist takeover here in the podcast. Uh, so we invented the term yacht rock, and you guys love yacht rock music. So we throw a bone to yacht rock every episode, and this time. As you may know, we started a Patreon, and we had a tier that included the ability to pick a bone throw. We've since gotten rid of that tier. Um, it's okay. We took care of it. Um, um, the Bruce is in here. How you doing, Dave? I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Jay? Matt, Matt Brousseau is fixing my mistake right now. Yeah, that's all right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Oh, it sounds so much better. Okay, there so, we go. So even, we got, even though we got rid of that tier, we're keeping our promises to anyone who pledged at that level. So here is a bone throw sent in by Greg Holcomb. Greg writes... If I were to pinpoint the one singular moment in the web series that shifted my entertainment experiences from this is a cool little web series to holy moly tacos, these guys are freaking geniuses, it would be the dueling versions of I Gotta Try. I was plenty familiar with McDonald version, but didn't realize that Loggins also had recorded it. When the Loggins version played first, I sensed it was coming and fell over laughing when the McDonald version played. Knowing that Loggins would counter melody vocals soon follow. I didn't have to read the whole email. I thought it'd be fun to read a complimentary email to us. Yeah. It really was Well, get to the compliment part. Also, Hunter and JD totally stuck the landing with their acting in that episode. Very good, guys. <laughs> good job. Nailed it. Uh, he continues, Given the two titles of the, and the distinguished Loggins McDonald co-write dual release trilogy have already been featured on the podcast, I think this, the McDonald version, will be a great bone throw. Okay, JD, cool off now. I'm going to okay. read some stuff. Uh, personnel list on this Oh, song. yeah, here we go. Let's, let's hear a list of names. Here we go. Michael McDonald. Yeah! He's good. Uh, Clarence Boddicker? Uh, Michael Boddicker. There's a reason I wrote it like this, so we can do this. Greg Fillingates, Willie Weeks uh, from the Doobies on bass, Steve Lukather, Steve Gadd, Paulina DaCosta, Loggins on background vocals, and produced by Ted Templeman, and also Ted Templeman played percussion on this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Double threat. Yeah. Um, that's... Kind of feels to me that McDonald doesn't quite—he's not quite feeling this as much as Loggins. But here's this Loggins. Is, this is the most yacht rock part of the song, yeah. I think. Here's Loggins. He's, he's not giving it his all. But let's hear let's hear the Kenny Loggins version as well. And because I want to yachtski both versions. So remember remember what that one sounded like. Got it. Uh, look at it. It's yeah. clunk rock. Yeah. How do we miss this one? I had to get the Ramones in there. That's right. Good this, job, Dave. Okay, so personnel on this. Thank God. Personnel on this is interesting because we've got our new friend Abe Laboreal on bass. Lukather also plays guitar on this one. He really gets the Luke out in one measure. There's one measure where he's really hot. <laughs> Michael McDonald's on like keys. The, gets the Luke out. Yeah. I like that. Uh... <laughs> But where Michael got the actual Kenny to sing background vocals on his version, Kenny had to settle for the fake Michael McDonald. I Mi- think that's smart. Yeah, Mr. Steve George and Mr. Richard Page of Pages. Just call them the Pages. Okay. Well, from now on, we just need to call them the Pages. To me, this is a little faster. It feels rushed, like when you jump on a trampoline. So when you listen, you just listen to the last one. It's so like what, listen to the doobie bounce on this one. Good. It's not on the Michael McDonald. Oh really? It's not as strong as this Michael one. McDonald. Yeah. Michael McDonald. His is jazzier and more R and B. I think I think I actually think McDonald's one is more yacht rock than this one, and I'm going to give it. Uh, I'd give the McDonald one an essential score of 95. What, what about the uh, 
Logan's one. Plus, let's all score McDonald's first. Oh, okay. Do you guys think... Wait, hold on. You already said this. Do you guys think... Which one do you think is more... Yeah, Rocky. For me, it's the McDonald's one. In fact, I, uh, I give it a 92, not as high as JD. But it's still essential yacht. I... I I think this one's more Yacht Rocky. And I don't know. I think he sounds like a pussy. What the, what's that? Is, that? is that like sass? Is that part of... I'm, I'm being sassy. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i score the first one. I'm going to say 85. Because I don't think it's quite essential. Steve? I think that the McDonald's version is yachtier, but I enjoy this one more. It's got a little more zazz. Score. It's just a different way of spelling sass. <laughs> no, zazz is short for pizzazz. It's got it's got like glitter and spangles and stuff. Oh, I'm so sorry I said anything. This has a be- I, I'm sorry. This has a better doobie bounce. It me. does. Uh, it's livelier. I'm gonna I'm gonna score. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna score the McDonald version 81, and I'm gonna score this version 79. Uh, okay, so uh, 88.25 for the McDonald version. Okay. Huh. Okay, so Steve gave 79 to Loggins. I'm going to give Loggins uh, 85. Uh, 80, Hunter? I'm 80 gi- for me. I'm giving it an 89. Uh, and Loggins is 83.25. Yeah. Huh. That makes right. sense. Good bone throw, guys. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you, um, Greg Holcomb. That was great. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Greg Holcomb. And we are worth as much as you were paying. So much so. as you pledged, but thank <laughs> you so much. In 1993, a movie came out about three cool suburban dudes driving an RV to a boxing match. They take a wrong turn, witness a murder, and are chased by Dennis Leary and his gang of Irish drug-dealing thugs in Chicago. Dave saw the movie, and he told me it was meh. Meh. And not to get all Hollywood Steve on you, but there were four dudes in the RV. I think you're forgetting about oh. Stephen Dorff. Yeah. 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 That, that happens. That's yeah. Stephen Dorff. I said three dudes were driving. Do you remember the scene where all, three of them had the hand on the wheel? No, never mind. Okay. Uh, but the soundtrack, which combined hip-hop and alternative rock in a big new way, excited the shit out of every single Midwestern team. Well, I, wanna, I wanted to talk about this movie real I, before we move on. Mr. Q, that. though. Well, yeah. I, I'm sorry, because I was looking over well, there. Well, here, here's the thing, though. What's your reaction to Judgment? Okay, what do you think? Think of the Judgment Night movie. Oh, I just I just wanted to point out what exactly was going on in this, and that it was the, it was the height of suburban fears. Yeah, left over from the this, 70s and 80s, and this came out one year after the LA riots. And, and it was also the result of city planners plopping stadiums and arenas in the middle of the poorest urban neighborhoods, thinking somehow this would solve crime and poverty, or they just didn't give a shit because the land was cheap. And it and the idea of going to major market sporting events terrified suburbanites, in particular white people. We have to go into Detroit at night. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It felt like it felt like uh, somebody from the suburbs of Detroit going in. Yeah. That's why the movie sucked because it was one note throughout the entire thing. Okay, sorry. Okay, uh, the movie's irrelevant today because we're talking about the sound. What do you guys think of the soundtrack when it came out? Uh, when it first came out, I wasn't really impressed. Um, I was a big Mudhoney fan, and I thought uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot kind of ruined a Mudhoney song, and I really didn't give it a fair chance until I was in college. And then I realized it's pretty freaking good. I mean, the mashups on this, and we'll talk about them as we hit them, they're, they're quite creative, and most of them are really good songs. 
Steve, uh, you were a single Midwestern teen. What, what, from that perspective, how did it you was, feel about it? Uh, you had a line there that it excited the shit out of every single Midwestern teen. Oh. And I was going to say, as a single Midwestern teen, ha ha ha. Ah. But then Hunter did his we know that he missed we, earlier. We know it anyway, uh, for us, where I grew up, it was a, it was was this was pretty much a must-own item right from the beginning, whether you'd even heard anything off of it or not, because it had big names all over it. We were, we were still in the metal. We were still in the alternative. We were, some of us were more into rap than others, but I, I wasn't a big rap fan at this point. I liked individual songs, but I didn't really buy many albums yet. But this actually kind of helped me get more into the genre as a rock kid, because I was listening to rap songs for an entire album and enjoying, you know, most of them. Yeah, I thought it was great. Cool. Me too. I didn't listen to either kinds of music, really. But I was like, oh, culture is changing. These are mixing together. This is cool. Well, I had a waning interest in Yo! MTV Raps and Headbangers Ball, and I was moving into 100, 120 minutes. As many of us were and at this, the time. So this soundtrack combined all those things perfectly for me. So a little history. Uh, Rick Rubin was the first one to really put rock together with rap in a big way. From this Run DMC and Aerosmith song, Walk This Way, to the Beastie Boys, to Public Enemy sampling Slayer. But the real catalyst for this soundtrack, which was released in 1993, was when Anthrax and Public Enemy teamed up and brought us the noise. They brought the noise. Now listen to this. This is the sound of Judgment Night. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, this is the A-list version of the Onyx Biohazard team up. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about it later, yeah. Uh, Dave, you have some theories about how this album came about. Yeah, yeah I fucking love this song. Uh, my first theory, some marketing folks in the early 90s realized that rap and alternative were becoming big business. Both the soundtracks to Juice and singles performed remarkably well, and there was a profit to be made. Since we'd want to cast a net over the largest demographic possible, why not target both kinds of people, white and black, and mash their music together because that's how music works. And that's how people work. Uh, theory number two, uh, and this has since changed uh, from when I wrote it to when I talked to Hunter before this. I was uh, of the opinion very few of these songs actually appeared on the soundtrack, but I was way off base. They actually appeared in the film. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, in the film. Film, um, Dave. Film, thank you. Um, originally, I thought the producer saw how very average the movie was that he decided they needed a profitable gimmick. And uh, then I'd go back to number one theory for the profitable gimmick. I, I think those are both good theories, even the one where the songs are not in the film, because they weren't like they're, they're integral parts. They could yeah. put almost anything in there. And I do, think, to be this matchup. I do think the soundtrack was an after. Uh, I I think that I think basically it comes to when you have two increasingly popular genres and it, they both had crossover appeal between each fan bases. It wasn't a ton, but there was enough. It was bound to be. Like, oh yeah, I've heard of these guys. Yeah, there, it was bound to like have this both kind of converge so it could sell it to the largest group possible. Well, here's how it really went down. I got the true story. This guy Happy Walters, he's the founder of Immortal Records and the manager of House of Pain in Cypress Hill. He envisioned an entire album rap, rap rock fusion. He'd go on to guide the careers of Corn and Incubus. So as the AV club's Sean O'Neill called him, he was a Barry Gordy of this sound. But for our purposes, we can declare that Happy Walters is the new metal Coco Goldstein. <laughs> 
surprisingly, they put out a really good album. It hit number 17 on the Billboard charts and received pretty good reviews from multiple outlets. Wow, multiple outlets. Multiple outlets. Uh, but more importantly, the soundtrack still holds up today. Yeah, and they and they did a great job with the pairings. Um, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff that could have been extremely forgettable or generic or just plain odd, like the Spawn soundtrack, which is basically the sequel to this soundtrack. Wasn't the Spawn soundtrack like a mix between rock and electronica or something like that? Or like electronica There was rap? some elements of that, yeah. There was a lot of that. It was the same basic formula, but it just didn't fully work. Putting this together wasn't an easy feat because you got to get the managers on board and then you have to get the artists psyched about it. And you got to license every artist from their labels and including the sync rights for the movie. And then you got to get everyone together to write and record. So when you think about how many egos you have to filter through to get this done, at a time when this seemed crazy, Z, bravo, Happy, you did a great, great job. Uh, and I don't know if it was televised or not, but in a Billboard article on this album, and you'll love this, Hunter, they said it was kicked off at a party co-hosted by Fab Five Freddy of OMTV Raps and Ricky Rockman from Headbangers Ball. I'm pretty sure I watched that. Oh, so it was on TV. I think so. So tonight is our judgment night, as we will be making judgments as to who does the better job in each song. Will it be the rapper, or will it be the rocker? Let's find out. Judgment night! Sounds nothing like Judgment Night. See, we're going by track listings. We're not counting down. We're counting up. Oh, you're about. Oh, it's a track number one. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Steve, what's the first this track is on the album? Just another victim by number Helmet one. and House of Pain. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. It was re- it was one of the songs that was released as a single. It didn't chart anywhere though. This uh, is this is my favorite song on the album, and I usually play this three or four times in a row before moving on to the rest of the album. Yeah, we've all been in your car. <laughs> this song, uh, just so you know, I'm going to give updates on where these are are where in the movie. Oh, good. This song was number eight to appear uh, when Dennis Leary's Irish gang meets the local United Colors of Benetton gang that prowls the urban nightmare <laughs> landscape uh, that this movie. They were so in. very careful not to have the bad guys be a black gang. Hence Dennis Leary and the Irish yeah. gang. Well, yeah, and, they made the, well, and to not have the white the white guys be white guys. Hence Cuba Gooding yeah, Jr. Yeah, yeah, you know, real real menacing. And Emilio Estevez. And the projects that we that we that we'll talk about later. That the Irish projects. No, it was it was multicultural oh, projects. Okay. Yeah, it, it wasn't pro- progressive yeah. projects. I think there was even a lesbian couple living in one of them, raising oh, very progressive, a, raising a multiracial child. <laughs> very progressive. Yes. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the artists on this song. Helmet was one of the earlier alternative metal bands. They were formed by guitarist singer Paige Hamilton, who uh, had left the noise rock group Band of Susans, who I've never listened to. Also Uh, quite progressive. Helmet was known for looking like average Joes in t-shirts and sneakers, and then making lots of really loud, distorted noise with their instruments. Like, like, Like even louder and noisier than usual for this type of music. 
And even though they didn't sound like anybody's idea of commercial, they still got signed to Interscope for a million dollars since nobody at the time knew what was commercial anymore. They thought every band was going to be the next Nirvana and they better get them before they missed out. Uh, Helmet did have an MTV hit with Unsung, which was a great song, but did not make them the next Nirvana. Did they do Snap Your Finger, Snap Your Neck? No, that was Prong. That was Prong. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Prong. Poor man's helmet. Yeah, Yeah, with their Maserati Oh, this is the best part. This is the abrupt transition from the Helmet section into the House of Pain section. Uh, And I'll talk about House of Pain real quick. They were a white rap trio from Los Angeles, consisting of rappers Everlast and Danny Boy, plus DJ Lethal. Oh, hold the presses. You're telling me House of Pain wasn't from Boston. They were not from Boston. Yeah, I just found that out today. Yeah. Great. This is insane. Everlast and Danny Boy went to a charter high school together in Woodland Hills. That's where rich people live. The median home is almost a million dollars in Woodland Hills. Yeah, but they could have bust in because I know, like, Easy e and I Cube both went to that charter high school too, and they definitely lived in Compton at the time. And bus to Woodland Hills? Yeah, that's like a two-hour commute in traffic. Yeah, didn't you see the the NWA movie? Ice Cube's always on the bus writing raps. It's a long, and he wrote a lot of raps. It's a long bus. He ride. sure did. Hey, did you guys hear that part that just happened? They just said their name. Ah, they got ooh. their name in the raps. Oh, good. Nice. Holy diver. Oh, and this is the other good part. They do a better Holy job. Holy diver. I'm a survivor. They do a better job selling. Uh, taxi driver by saying the cast of that when they do the Judgment Night movie. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Uh, huh, maybe I, I'll see that taxi driver. Movie. I was dragged to a House of Pain concert in like 92. I didn't want to go, but my friends were like, no, you got to go. And we drove to Grand Rapids and saw them. And they had an unknown opening band called Rage Against the Machine that none of us had heard of before. And I thought, wow, these guys must be pretty cool if they have Rage Against the Machine opening for them. Turns out they weren't. Okay. <laughs> um, anything else on this song? Yeah. It's going to end. Uh, uh, House of Pain liked to make a big deal about their Irish heritage, which made them perfect for the, you know, the Dennis Leary gang. Uh, they were real big in, in my hometown because they were white guys. And their raps didn't suck like vanilla ice. And in fact, the first time I ever drank any alcohol, uh, my buddies from high school decided it had to be Mickey's Fine Malt Liquor because House of Pain rapped about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also because it was $1.50 for a 40-ounce. And it was so terrible, I spent the rest of the night trying to drink a Zima instead. Which is also malt liquor. Yes, but it's also sweeter. Yeah. It tastes like... Zima tastes like bread dough mixed with Sprite, if you're curious. <laughs> Going back to malt liquor as an adult is a painful thing uh, to do. Yeah. I was never good with malt liquor. I no. hated it. We drank Steel Reserve in college, and for a short time, they sold it in a gallon. <laughs> It had like a little finger hook on it. I'm sure that's not true. Um, I tried to find any proof of it, and the only proof I had was texting a couple of my college friends saying, Do you remember the Steel Reserve Gallon? They were like, Fuck yeah! Totally. Yeah. When we watched that episode of Dallas, when JR fucked Bobby. Yeah. That was a good one. That, that happened at our Edward Forty Hands party. <laughs> Anything else on this one, guys? We got to do our judgment. Oh, yeah. Steve, who wins this one? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's split into two very distinct sections. Helmet section is faster, and I think it creates the atmosphere, the, the hard-edged urban atmosphere actually better than the rap section because, you know, Everlast has to kind of slow down the beat to get, it, to get all his words over the top. Uh, it doesn't even sound like they were in the same room, to be honest. 
And so I give in I give the the edge here. I give the judgment to Helmet. I give it to the Rockers. This is the only one I care about, and I vietnamesely vietnamesely yeah, disagree with this uh, because I really think House of Pain elevates this song from an average Helmet song to something that's an amazing album opener. All right, congratulations, Helmet. But Helmet gets it. The judge has Judgment Night! Are you going to do that through the whole thing? I hope so. This is the point where I usually say I like the bumpers, so I'm going to go ahead and say I like these bumpers. Oh, boy. This is either the gleam or the ache of the album, depending on if you know what the lyrics are or not. Um, the song's called Fallen, and it's Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul. I think it's the hippie hop of the album. Well, yeah. I, I think I got that in there as Absolutely. well. There's a little more hippie hop on here. This song opens the movie. It breezes in a much simpler suburban existence, and it plays again as they leave for their boxing match mm-hmm. and their best friends. Hey, yo, kid, and then it plays for a third time uh, after they win the judgment night as it goes into credits. Yeah. Oh, who, is, who is this, Dave? De La Soul and uh, Teenage Fan Club. It's a very happy song about falling, or falling if you don't get metaphors. This this is, oh, I already said, Teenage Fan Club and De La Soul with Fallen. Teenage Fan Club uh, was a Scottish pop band that seemed to always be on the college radio charts in the early 90s, right along with Matthew Sweet. Try this fun fact on for size. In 1991, in Spin's editor's end-of-the-year poll, Teenage Fan Club's major label debut, Bandwagon-esque, was voted Album of the Year. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me tell you some albums it beat out. <laughs> Never mind. Trompe Le Monde, Fugazi's Out of Time, oh wait, excuse me, Fugazi's Steady Diet of Nothing, Out of Time, and Pearl Jam's 10. Also the lead singer of the band kind of looks like Mark Maron. Like now Mark Maron with the dumb facial hair? No, no, the no facial hair Mark Maron. And now that you mention it, I think he has the same facial hair as as both Coco and Hulk Hogan, who was in a band called Coco. Teenage Fan Club, Dave, is the kind of band that you always call candy asses. You're right, Steve. It's like because they're power pop. It's like the Pixies without the edge or the listenability or the credibility or the ability or the fact that I like them. <laughs> you just don't like power pop. Um, I, I mean, like power pop is kind of an ironically named genre a little bit, yeah. but you just do not have a taste for it at all. It seems no, I, I do not. Uh, but De La Soul was one of the pioneers of alternative hip hop and, of course. Hippie Hop. Their first album, Three Feet High and Rising, is widely considered to be a hip-hop classic. Say it again. Hip-hop classic. Uh, They frequently put some really eclectic samples into their songs, so that explains the use of Tom Petty's Free Fallen in the chorus. You think he sued? Uh, he was given he was given uh, writing credit on this, so I don't think ah. he did. He got a million dollars. I feel like this song should have come a lot later on the album. It's so relaxing. Uh, it's like, because this album's such a hardcore assault, a nice relaxing ditty later in the yeah. album would be a really nice respite. This is like an NFL team getting a bye in week four. Uh, yeah. But I, I think this is the perfect spot because it's a good song. One, it's a good song, and two, it's... Uh, it, it kind of lets you know that the soundtrack isn't going to be all aggression, like the first song, Helmet and House of Pain. They did get they did get a more alternative band. I mean, Helmet you can kind of see as both alternative and metal, but they made sure to get an alternative band in there right away. Yeah. 
Dave, who wins this one? Uh, for me, uh, the rappers win this one because it sounds like a De La Soul song. This, I, yeah, it really this does. This is my favorite part where they start riffing on the Daisy Dukes by Deuce, <laughs> which um, put I think put a young Hollywood Steve in the hospital because everything's spelled so whack. Wrong, <laughs> no, wacky. I, I, recogn- I recognize alternate hip-hop spellings as legitimate. Okay. I just have to know what the alternate spelling is supposed to be gotcha. so that I could proofread it during my proofreading okay. job. What a hellish existence. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, rappers win on this one? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. the rappers. Uh, I feel like uh, the, the rockers really shit the bed on this one. They, they were incidental. Mm-hmm. Is anybody keeping score? No. Somebody at home keeps score. One to one. And... Number three. Number three. Yes! This is Me, Myself, and My Microphone by Living Color and Run DMC. <laughs> and this song, it feels like a bone throw to Run DMC. Like, well, I guess we have to have Run DMC because they did it first. And at number three, too. Yeah. But these guys, this, it, it feels good on this dark soundtrack to have sort of a lighter, more old-school sound about how good these, are, these guys are at rocking rap parties. But compare this mix to Walk This Way, where Aerosmith kind of took a hike in the back of the mix while Run DMC took charge. In this song you can barely hear the rapping listen to this it's it's mixed so far back the mix really focuses on living color they really dominate in this one so this this song number six in the movie uh, i was playing in the apartment of some of the scared project res, uh, residents uh which makes sense because uh, this is what you would listen to if you were terrified mm-hmm. uh Run DMC, of course. Rappers Run DMC and their DJ Jam Master J. They did a bunch to bring rap into the mainstream, mostly by being awesome. Uh, Jam Master J incorporated rock guitar riffs into their music in such a groundbreaking way. Again, Spin Magazine, Blowing Minds, rated him the number 10 greatest guitar guitarist of all time. Jam Master J. Because he... Yeah. It's because he changed the way we hear guitar music. And it's kind of it's kind of true. And hey, guess what, Steve? What? He's dead now. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, I know. His uh, murderer was never caught. Here. Oh, spooky. I think he faked his own death and he's still out there somewhere. That's just my theory. That's, that's Tupac. He's, he still has to work his way up to number nine in the greatest all-time yeah. guitarist. Um, so Living Color... Can you imagine what he could do if he learned to play guitar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Living Color is a brown-eyed rock outfit conceived by Vernon Reed. Uh, it busted into the mainstream in 1988 with Cult of Personality. They became kind of a novelty. Oh, look, a, oh, black black rockers. Oh, oh. playing metal and yeah. stuff. Um, so, and that's what I was thinking when I was 11. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not immune to that. And yet you're still pushing the term brown-eyed rock. Uh, well, listen. Chuck Berry, yeah. Little Richard, Ike Turner, basically the guys who invented rock and roll. Right. And then white guys took it and turned it into a white genre. And then Living Color, and then Blue-Eyed Soul came around. And then, but soul and then, is never a white. And then Living Color invention. came and did the white person version of rock and roll with their brown eyes. If they have brown eyes, not all blue-eyed soul singers have blue eyes. It's a racist term. It's terrible. Just like blue-eyed soul is kind of a racist term, except it's not really that racist because it's about white people. Yeah, I guess, yeah. It's, and it's also like an ironic thing. I guess I'm being a, like an All Lives Matter guy right now. I apologize, America. All rock matters. All rock matters. Um, 
Listen, but they were they were much better than Black Rockers. Yeah. Than just Black Rockers. They were I, awesome. I saw them open for the Stones on the Steel Wheels tour. Yeah. And uh, Corey Glover, the front man in the Body oh, Glove outfit, was, a short song. was whipping his hair around during uh, Glamour Boy. Yeah. And he Great got, song, yeah. too. I am a Glamour Boy. Uh, but he got dizzy and fell off the fucking stage. <laughs> and they had to stop the show. And then 15 minutes later, he came back with a bandaged wrist to the cheers of the crowd. And then they butchered uh, Glamour Boy anyway. Classic brown-eyed rock. Yeah, um, <laughs> Living Color put out this super heavy album in 1993 called Stain. It came out the year this soundtrack came out. So you start to solve the puzzle of how a lot of these groups were brought on board. There's a lot of corresponding album releases. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you guys remember when Living Color shoot, sued Fox because of the TV show? Oh, the band yeah, Living, Color, Living sued, Color yeah, sued Fox because of the TV show In Living Color. The band claimed the show stole their name, their logo, and their idea of black people succeeding in a white-dominated medium. The no, th- th- that's not true because color is spelled completely differently on the Fox show. Well, the show did change their logo, and the lawsuit was gently settled, and it paved the way for Fox versus Arrested Development in 2003. <laughs> um... Hey, my, ju- my judgment, living color. Absolutely. The, judgment night. A huge assist from the mix. You gotta bang the gavel when you do this. So what are we at? Rappers 1, Rockers 2? Yeah. You guys are doing a really good job of staying quiet during the bumpers. I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, you yell at us enough. We, uh, yeah. They're really good. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I get the song. I skip almost every time I listen to this album. No, you're wrong. This is Onyx and Biohazard. No, he's right. He does skip this song. With Judgment Night. He's wrong to do it. Uh, this song has so many things going against it. Uh, and I'm going to take you, I'm going to walk you through them. Uh, one, they are both two-bit outfits. These are these are a poor man's Anthrax and uh, and uh, and uh, Public Enemy. Um, Onyx had one decent rap song, and that wasn't that good. And Biohazard really had no decent metal song. Uh, they. Number two, they already did this shit, so it's not unique. The one song Onyx had was Slam, and Biohazard was simply known as the point as the rock backing to the remix of Slam <laughs> that was released at the exact same time. Yep, that's true. Uh, and then number three, this song kind of sucks. Uh, it's, it's the least creative as it's supposed to be the main single to promote the movie, so it just has to scream the name of the movie a bunch of times, which they do. Judgment Night! <laughs> and the, and if you actually listen to it, uh, the rest makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't a, have to. <laughs> I it's, think it's one of the best songs. I think. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a. I think it's the cleanest blendings of the two group styles. I feel like Biohazard and Onyx both have such distinct original sounds. Maybe not Biohazard so much, but as metal, they're very. Well, there's a sounding. reason. It's because they practice. But I feel like this song is like oil and water mixing, but like in a cool lava lamp kind of way. So this is the fifth song in the movie, um, and I'm pretty sure you only hear the Onyx 
raps. I listened to it a couple times. There's none of the rock in there. I don't think because I, they're firmly in. This is the first time they really approached the scary minority part of town, and it would be too confusing to hear rock music in it. So they only took the, uh, the raps. Um, Onyx is who I like to think started the gravel rap trend popularized by DMX and Ja Rule. Uh, they like to shout and make sounds like they're clearing their throats and are always in need of a lozenge. <laughs> They're from Queens and uh, feature the talents of Sticky Fingers, uh, Fredro Starr, uh, Sonny Caesar, and Big DS. Their only real hit was Slam, as I mentioned, and um, that was off 1993's Back to Fuck Up and released by Def Jam. Such a jam, such a good song. Biohazard oh, man, are from... You guys just talked over the best mic pass request of all time. Well, let's listen to it. Let's listen to it here. This is the here only part that makes here sense. <laughs> Guy needs a lodge. He needs the mic. You gotta pass him the mic. And it's a, his turn to rap. But doesn't he? He's already mic'd because you can hear him asking for it. Doesn't That's make how any sense. studio recordings work. Real quick, who's Biohazard? Biohazard are from Brooklyn. They're uh, kind of, like I said, second-rate anthrax. Uh, the only generous. The only song I really remember from them is the song Punishment from 1992. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember Punishment. Where it's signed to Roadrunner Records. And the thing about that song is, and this is, goes to you, J.D., it's a total rap rock song. A year before yeah, this no, Yeah, out. nobody oh. called them rap rock back then. They called them just hardcore. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it kind of was. And it sounds exactly like this without the competent raps. So they, they already knew how to do this. So with that said, I think Biohazard is somehow the reason the soundtrack came together and why they got the title track with Onyx. Um, they already knew this music and they already practiced it with Onyx and they already did the trial run and they knew they could complete it, so they got it. Uh, the breakout star in Biohazard was bassist and vocalist Evan Seinfeld. Uh, he landed a role on Oz. What is the deal with playing bass in a hardcore band? I mean, it's easy to do. I'm making so much money. <laughs> he, he was on the show Supergroup and formed Damnocracy with, oh, yeah, yeah. which I talked about before. This with, is the second time Damnocracy's yeah, come with up. With the nude uh, Sebastian Bach, Scott Ian, uh, there's the anthrax thing, and Jason Bonham. Um, and then he became a porn star. Really? Yeah. Tim, Tim, we're going to need a couple links uh, to this one. Uh, Hunter, who, who wins this one? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, okay, so overall, uh, I think Biohazard's experience mixing the rap and rock chair did all the heavy lifting on the song. Uh, it definitely gave it the backbone for a smooth mix, but none of that would have mattered without Onyx having the star power to elevate the song from boring to barely worthy <laughs> to have a music video and the title of the movie. So this one goes to the rappers. Two to two. Mm-hmm. I, I love this song. This is Slayer and Ice-T with Disorder. And I'd like to start off by apologizing to our listeners for not getting any Slayer into the podcast until now. I've personally done you all a disservice. I feel responsible for And this. it's the judgment I sent. All I can do is try to get better at that. I looked into them for the gleam, but I couldn't find anything. No, there's good. no happy Slayer yeah. songs. Uh, so this was the third song played in the movie when a tough dude in a sweet red, danger, danger, red, uh, back to the future truck, wouldn't let them merge. Road rage, and it's starting to get heavy. Yeah. Oh, so he's the one that drove them off the road into the bad neighborhood. No. No, 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 no. That, that's coming up. 
Oh, that's, that was just I'll foreshadowing? That. Yeah, this is okay. all foreshadowing. That's why it's like, whoa, and there's a white dude going like, hey, guys. Oh. And then Steven Dorff tries to fight him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about this song. It's not actually an original song. It's a medley of three separate songs three. by the UK hardcore punk band The Exploited. Yeah, Sex There's Violence. War, which is the one we're in right now. Uh, there's going to be UK 82, and then it'll close with Disorder, which is the, the one they used to title the track from. Um, this is during Slayer's anti-war period, uh, which you can hear a lot of on their 1990 album Seasons in the Abyss, which coincided with our first invasion of Iraq. Uh, at that point, they'd pretty much decided that visions of Satan and hell weren't nearly as horrific as real life. Yeah, this song is still relevant today. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be pretty relevant in the years to come, I'm sure, too. Except Ice-T is now a network actor on a show meant to placate the masses into having absolute faith in a flawed system of law and order and never question the government. Right. Yep. That's what we all need to do now. Uh, this was also right after Ice-T had, uh, he just like the year before, he'd become a free speech icon over his punk metal band body count song, Cop Killer. Uh, so much like Biohazard and Onyx, he was already kind of one of the leaders of this type of musical fusion. Um, and if you've never heard the Body Count album, you guys, it's fucking insane. Yeah, it really good. is. There's a song where he murders his mother for being a racist and then leaves pieces of her body all over town. There's another song where he fucks the Grand Dragon's daughter in the ass during a KKK meeting. It's it's a unique listening experience. <laughs> On Law and Order, Ice T plays Finn. His real name is Tracy. <laughs> hey guys, hear this? It's the best part of the song. Yeah. I think I think this is the uh, UK '82 portion. Uh, I think Ice T was trying to be an actor, like from, oh, the, yeah. from the get-go. He's got a great cameo in the movie Breaking. He's so lame in Breaking. <laughs> he's in Breaking too, as well. When they're saving the the, the well, he comes out. Center. He comes out and performs, and he takes the title of Breaking literally because he's holding up records and breaking them with a hammer. <laughs> like, oh! Breaks a record. Between that and him starting his rap, I don't know when he had time to be a pimp. Everybody kept saying he used to be a pimp. Yeah, and flipping flower was what he said, which I think is a euphemism for cocaine. Hmm. You know, he may just be in Breaking oh, 2. I get those movies correct. No, he's in Breaking as well. Yeah, he is in both. I yeah. confuse the two I'm very movies. familiar with both movies. Which one? Why would you confuse them? They're well, totally I, I know. Different. They both stand on their own. As uh, <laughs> We'll talk um, about them in a film segment. All right. Sometime. Sorry. Sorry. I got excited about Breaking. That's fine. Uh, anything else on this uh, one? Yeah, we got to talk about uh, we got to talk about our judgment. I think this is one of the best team-ups on the album. Um, Tom Araya's vocals as the lead singer of Slayer are already very yelling heavy, so Ice-T can kind of slide into that performance mode without too much trouble at all. I think it's pretty seamless, um, and it's not too far off from what Ice-T was doing with Body Count at this point. You know, it's pretty obvious that Slayer has way more instrumental technique than the guys in Body Count. But it's kind of, it's pretty much, it's very similar. They found common ground that plays to everybody's strengths here. Uh, but who wins? Uh, even though I think there's too much teamwork here to really count as a competition, I'm going to call it for Ice-T. He sounds wow. like the ideal frontman for a Slayer album of hardcore punk covers. They don't overwhelm him. He sounds very much at home. I think he comes off very well. Here. I have a hard time saying this one goes to the rapper. Me too. I've rapping. been surprised by that. It's a rapper singing punk songs. But so wouldn't you give it to the but punk he's doing band? It because really he, well. Because but yeah, Slayer's but, not a punk band. But Body Count, okay. Okay. Body Count didn't have any rap on it at all. 
I mean, at this no, point, Ice-T Ice, Ice -T was kind of doing the hardcore Listen, thing. it's three to two rappers. Yeah. Might as well hear the end of the song. Chaos, yeah. Disorder. Disorder. Sweet. Who did the bumpers this week? We'll find oh out. Oh my god, where you always get to it. The plug hole. I'm excited. Every time. I know. All right. Take a look at my girlfriend. <laughs> She's the only one I got. <laughs> Steve oh, said, no. This is different. Okay, yeah. so. Steve said that Slayer and Ice-T were one of the best team-ups on the album, and he's right, because this is, in my opinion, the best collaboration. This is Faith No More and Booyah Tribe with Another Body Murdered. Uh, this is song nine, uh, still in the Scary Projects. Dennis Leary gang uh, beats up the residents, and this song implies they murdered everyone. Uh, and it's also the second song played during the credits. Fun fact about the term booyah, uh, although everyone today knows it as an expression of exuberance, thanks in part to the late Sports Center anchor Stuart Scott, it actually originated as a slang term for the cocking of a shotgun. Like when Ali G says, booyah kasha, it's, it's supposed to be onomatopoeic. And if you're allergic to cocking a shotgun, it's called uh, booyah kashachu, which is a portmanteau onomatopoeia, or a portmanopoeia, if you will. Thank God. There's a long way to go for that. that was, it was worth it. It was a fun journey to come <laughs> up with. Uh, I'll do a whole podcast on the journey to come up with that uh, line. Another joke murdered. <laughs> Booyah Tribe is a group of brothers from Carson, California. Carson's just north of Long Beach. I bought a forerunner there once. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. These guys actually started playing music in their father's church, but even though they were church boys, they got caught up in gang activity and the youngest brother was killed in a gang-related shooting. They left the gang world at that time and focused on music, uh, mostly started performing in Japan. Uh, they differed from other rap groups at the time because they played their own instruments. Also, they were all Samoan, and they named one of their albums Angry Samoans, which I thought was uh, they were taken from the punk band Angry Samoans. Uh, come to find out, it was the name of an early uh, tag team wrestling duo, mm -hmm. which I thought were the Wild Samoans. But, uh, my research said Angry Samoans, but you know my research is freaking yeah. flawed. Yeah. I like your research, though. It's fun. It gives yeah. fun flavor to the podcast. Sure. They could have been wild and angry. Right. Uh, Faith No More is a band that sounds kind of difficult to describe. It's very eclectic. Yeah, I, I would say funk metal rap, but that description fits super shitty bands like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Faith No More is unbelievably talented. But they were like a good version of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, and they also had a few of the yeah, Red Hot Chili they're, Peppers. They were also they were way more metal than the Red yeah. Hot yeah. Chili Peppers. Uh, but they've been around in various forms since 1979 and had minor success in the mid-80s, but didn't have huge recognition until Mike Patton joined the group in 1988. They released their aptly titled album, Epic, and it became an MTV staple. Oh, like the song single. was epic. Yeah, the album was the real the thing. The real thing, yeah. I got it. <laughs> Alternative facts. Um, I was, uh, I caught it, but you, uh, but interrupting Steve had to get it in there. Um, we're on edge when you when you get facts, Dave. I know, you I have know. to understand we're on edge. Yeah. If you looked around, we're all we're like moving our limbs. We're all I'm, I'm double checking what like, you typed oh, down. I get it. I get it. Okay. We're nervous. Um, I was talking about the song Epic. I can remember people uh, flopping around the floor at a high school dance like the fish. to this. Yeah, like, like the, the fish, fish at the end, end of the video. video. Jinx. And um, <laughs> it would not be the last time that something I held special would be embraced by people that I did not care for. 
Like how you stop loving Jimmy Buffett because of the fans. Okay, now who's yeah, giving he, now who's giving alternative facts, JD? <laughs> Man, Dave, you've got you've got alternative facts. You've got the uh, politically incorrect sense of humor. If you just if you just uh, ratchet up the tough talk, you'll be a president in like 12 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now I have too many skeletons in my closet. Doesn't I guess, matter. I guess it doesn't matter doesn't anymore. Matter anymore. I kind of went out the window. Even I could run for president now. <laughs> Uh, the reason I feel this is the best collaboration on the album is because both these groups have a very distinct style and they're perfectly suited for each other. Their songs are dark, they have an extremely intense and forceful way of delivering their lyrics, and they both frequently use the bass guitar as a lead instrument. Oh. Uh, they are two somewhat similar sounds that mesh seamlessly, and it's no surprise that this was the highest charting single from the album. Hmm. And, really? Mm-hmm. That's that, a f- that, that actually is a surprise yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> really fun fact. Because Mike Patton's... No, hang on. So who wins this one, Dave? Um, what did I write here? I don't um, know. Oh, I call it a tie, but I'm going to go for Faith No More because uh, they're one of my favorite bands. Yeah, yeah, because I'd give it to whoever does the spooky moan, and if that's, yeah, Mike, that's, that's Mike, Mike Patton, Patton then... Yeah. Oh! <laughs> We're tied. Uh, we're tied three three. Judgment night. I had a uh, dinner party last night, and the podcast came up, and one of my friends asked, "Who's the asshole that keeps clapping during that uh, fifty songs?" We take turns. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, everybody but me. It's infectious. Um, the only reason I do it because I know it bugs you. Yeah, I know. Okay. I do it because it's infectious and because it bugs Dave. Welcome to Hawaii. This is how far I'll go from Moana. This, we need a little break. We need a little break from that crazy stuff. So this is from a fun both, cartoon that came out Both soundtracks you've done so far have started with Welcome to the State. <laughs> This song is co-written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote everything in Hamilton. So as I like to call it, I like to call Hamilton the Judgment Night of Broadway because it merges both rap and Broadway schmaltz. And no one actually saw the, the, the movie or the play. And like the movie Judgment Night, Hamilton is unrealistically colorblind, but I think it achieves a much more powerful artistic effect by not considering race than the Judgment Night movie does. Anyway, that Broadway show is a big hit because Lin-Manuel Miranda can write catchy-ass music, and Moana is full of it. I am Wait. willing to bet that JD is the only one in this room that's seen Mo- Moana. Mm-hmm. Show of hands. Wait, what are, for who's, who's seen it? Who's seen it? Me. Yep, JD's Wait, the only have one. you seen Hamilton? No. Yeah, no one's seen it. Yeah, because you can't Moana. get a ticket to it. Yeah, everybody loves it's it. sold out. No one's seen it. Um, I wanted to introduce our jaded old rock fan audience to this song, and it gives us respite from the Judgment Night soundtrack and all its darkness, but it's also just been nominated for an Oscar, so if you're watching the ceremony, if you'd like to watch a ceremony and you've never heard any of the songs before, at least with this one, you can go, oh, they talked about that on the Beyond Yacht Rock program. And if you're accepting the award, Lin-Manuel, feel free to thank us for influencing, for influencing the Academy, just as we did with Journey in the Hall of Fame vote. Yeah, we didn't affect the Hall of Fame vote with any of the other artists, unfortunately. <laughs> and you certainly tried with all your Joan Baez passions. Yeah, you hate women. No, I hate folk. Women folk. 
Uh, so, Moana's a special movie. Uh, another joke murdered. Um, Moana's a judgment on, night on guys. me. Guys, JD's got a lot of real important stuff to say about this song. Right if I got, I want to talk about the movie Moana because they it's a it's about a Polynesian myth, and instead of casting a bunch of white losers like they would have done 20 years ago, they cast only actors from the Pacific Islands. Yeah, because they were opening a new hotel in uh, in Hawaii, so they wanted to make it more start authentic. this over. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, let's was see. that the end? Yeah, that was the end. So it's a cute little f two minute forty five second song. It's oh, Moana's "I Want" song. She wants to leave the island and explore the sea. Anyway, you gotta see the movie. It's great. Uh, so they cast Pacific Islanders in, in the film, like right. Uh, oh, and luckily for them, one of the biggest superstars on the planet, The Rock, is half Samoan, so they get their box office mojo and their integrity intact. And, Booyah kasha. And he's also he's also related to the uh, wild Samoans or the angry Samoans. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. Oh, so the voice of Moana and the singer of this song is Auli'i Cravelio, a Hawaiian 14-year-old they discovered in a Pacific-wide talent hunt. Hmm. Uh, there's also a great song in the movie called Shiny by Jermaine Clement as a giant vein crab. Jermaine, he's from the Pacific island of New Zealand. And he's Maori. And so, boom, integrity. Uh, and the other movie reason this movie special is because the animation is off the Chizarts. I've been working at, uh, for a TV show. Whoa! Yeah, Chizart Street Streetlink Chizarts. I've been listening to the Judgment Land soundtrack. Wow. Movie. <laughs> uh, I I've been working for, on a TV show for DreamWorks Animation, and the street beat in the animation world is that the water and hair renderings in Moana are revolutionary. Really? Wow! Yeah, they're really something. The movie's gorgeous. So you guys should come over and watch it sometime. Lady Junior will sing the song for you. Oh, mm -hmm. great! I, I can't, JD. I can't wait for your forthcoming take on Let. It go from Frozen. I'll tell you right now, segment. it's great. It's still fun to hear. I can't let it go. That's the irony. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to watch a friend's daughter sing it once in his living room. It was not. Cool. I think my niece is about a year away from being able to sing it in, in, so in her living room. I'm just room saying, when you have a bunch of people over to your house that don't have kids, don't ask your daughter to get up on the table and sing songs from Frozen. <laughs> so, so this turns out to be the song that uh, that beat out my suggestion of "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter" from the Nightmare on Elm Street Five soundtrack, which also happens to be directed by Stephen Hopkins, like Judgment Night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you just. Use that one in my Best of Broadway show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. got to hold you to that now. Plug hole. Hey, for all the excellent free work that he does for us, I've never actually plugged Ocean City Defender's Bandcamp site where you can actually buy songs from him. I'm dancing. This is where I bought this song today. So go to OceanCityDefender.Bandcamp.com and throw him some bones if you're a fan of Electro Pop or just a fan of OC Defender. Uh, the guy's, guy's a genius, and he's worth every penny. Oh, yeah. Go to YachtRock.com, check out our Mirth booth. Mirth booth. It's a Mirth booth. Yeah, too. we sell Mirth. Yeah, yeah. You'll, we you'll distribute Mirth. Get buttons, T-shirts. Uh, it'll bring you Mirth, yeah. Okay, now I'm changing the URL to the Mirth booth. Uh, JD and I, were also on the Autoblog podcast, where you can find at autoblog.com slash podcast or follow on Twitter at Autoblog podcast. Uh, we sounded like real car jackoffs. Uh, <laughs> car jack. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Appropriate for the uh, <laughs> Judgment Night soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah. Everybody's afraid of car jacking. But uh, they have great advice on that uh, their podcast, and they really know their stuff. It's episode 500. It's episode easy to find. Yeah. Uh, 
Today's bumpers were sent in by Jason Siren, who writes, uh, These bumpers are modeled after the finer distinguishing characteristics of the Yacht Rock sound. I've had a great time composing and producing these over the past month. Please let me know if there's any issues with the files. There weren't. They sound great. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to more verses and live full album shows as well. Well, congratulations. Wow. Yeah. Your bumper's in a live, or it's not live, but it's a full album It's show. live for us. Yeah. we uh, gotta, we got to start letting uh, Dave read the who sent the bumpers so he looks oh. forward to it every yeah, show and stops asking. That you, want to read this next, you want to read this next part about how to reach Jason? Um, nope. nope. So check out Jason Siren at CorkChaserMusic.com to hear cool stuff or follow Cork Chaser Music on SoundCloud or visit him on Bandcamp to purchase a download. Throw this guy a bone, he makes good bumpers. He does, they're excellent. Steve, you want to do the Patreon shout-outs? Patreon shout-outs. Uh, with nicknames courtesy of Hunter Stare. Well, some of them. Shout-outs to Sarah Deep Sea Fisher. Jillian Balloons Luft because of Luftballons. My United States Luftballons by name. Get your mind out the gutter, people. And this is a repeat because we may have gotten her name wrong. So we're, yeah, covering our bases. Uh, we got Lauren Cornflakes Kellogg. Sean, did I start Napster? Parker. Chris Brownbelt Jones. And Stephen Hot to Clop Kloppenstein. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Brownbelt Jones. Uh, and remember, if you didn't get a shout-out yet, it's coming. Also, if uh, one of us, mis- I, mispronounced your name and or you didn't get a nickname and would like one, send us a message and we'll do it again. We're still learning here. Yeah, it's like the end of uh, Car Talk when they have all the stupid nicknames. Is it? Mm-hmm. Cool. It's yeah. like the credits of a Metallica album. and uh, Or a Steve Perry album. Yeah. We say Thoughts. this we say this often, but for all you patrons, thank you for the bottom of our Steve Hole. This keeps us going and growing, and we hope to do more live shows and get out there, do more fun stuff, put more stuff, fun stuff in the merch booth, quality podcast, and with Patreon, you get it priority out or not. Mirth booth. Okay. You know, that kind of sounded like a really awesome uh, TV theme song, that last bumper. Yeah. Yeah, Great watch that show. Yeah. Good job, Jason Siren. Okay, so uh, here we are with the one female voice on this (laughs) testosterone-driven soundtrack. Uh, It's coming here in a second. There it is. Uh, This is the very druggy I Love You, Mary Jane by Sonic Youth and, of course, Cypress Hill. Uh, predating their 1996 reunion on the Simpsons Homer Palooza episode by three years. Yeah. Uh, this is song number seven, and it, and all these songs come in rapid succession um, once they get to the projects. Uh, the thing about these projects is everyone is ready to attack anyone who talks to them because they're so terrified. <laughs> and I don't know how anyone lives like this. I blame all the rap rock, rock music. Uh, so... This is uh, Sasanaki, so uh, their legendary alt indie noise art band out of New York City. Uh, and of course, they're great. They have Sonic in their name. They could only be great, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Critical the- darlings. Yes. Because <laughs> they really got there with Sonic right. word count up yeah. when they wrote about like Fred that. Sonic Smith. It's, it's a marketing ploy and it, it works. It is. It's gonna, you're going to be beloved. Uh, the band consists of bassist Kim Gordon, guitarist Thurston Moore, guitarist Lee Ronaldo, and drummer Steve Shelley. And they pretty much all sing lead on alternate, alternating songs except for Shelley. Whose voice sounds like a frog's dick. <laughs> Smooth? 
Delicious. Oily. Uh, they were paired with Cypress Hill, who are red. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Is that what you said? Hunter, continue with your fun facts. <laughs> they're paired with Cypress Hill, who are rappers Be Real and Send Dog, uh, with DJ Muggs. DJ Muggs! That's hey. Send Dog. That's my Send Dog impression. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somewhere around this time, they added percussionist Eric Bobo. Eric Bobo! Uh, and I think they debuted Eric Bobo at uh, at Woodstock 94. Oh, the best Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, so this song is one of the definite highlights, I think. Uh, it expands the spectrum of the rap rock collaboration. Collaboration! <laughs> From, say, something like the aggressive Slayer Ice-T to an extremely relaxed dream state. Dream state! <laughs> With both halves equal participants in this here chill. Uh, according to an interview in Complex, DJ Mug said it took them 12 hours to put this together in a studio from scratch. He said at first it wasn't going to work and they almost called it off. Uh, he had never worked with a live band before, so it was a learning experience. They eventually put things together piece by piece until there was a good beat, layered guitar noises, and Kim Gordon's hook. Uh, then they added the raps and all done. And raps! Uh, in a Trumpian quote from Rolling Stone, Be Real said on collaborating with Sonic Youth, we listen to that kind of music anyway, so it wasn't hard to click with them. The stuff I listen to is mostly classic rock stuff, though. Classic rock stuff! That doesn't make any sense. I think that was a fake story. <laughs> I think that was fake, fake news. news. Uh, so, personally, I think Cypress Hill put in the most work on this production-wise, uh, but it would be absolutely nothing without that Kim Gordon hook. Uh, without it, it, with that... Uh, the sound, or without it, the sound re- it, it really sounds like a generic Cypress Hill song. So I'm giving the judgment to the rockers on this because they killed it with the hook. Yeah, they, get, they really appropriate backing for the, the Cypress Hill weed lyrics. It's, it, the sounds fit together really well, I think. It's uh, four to three rockers. Mm. Judgment night! Of course, they had to put the Seattle guys together. This is Mud Honey and Sir Mix-a-Lot with Freak Mama. Uh, their sounds kind of actually fit together pretty well. Mud Honey has this like 60s surf rock undertones uh, that come out here, and it's not a bad compliment to Sir Mix-a-Lot and his goofy sex raps. You know, it's it's this up-tempo, not really that funky groove, which is a lot like what Baby Got Back was. Uh, and Sir Mix-a-Lot's clearly trying to do something in the same vein as his big breakout hit since that what all white audiences knew him for. It's not super funky, but it's grunky. It, yeah, yeah, it's very yeah, grunky. grunky. Insulting me. Uh, this, this is the fourth song played, and JD, this is right after the Slayer Ice-T merger uh, incident. Okay. Uh, Piven gets super wacky at this point, hence the sound plays this, and they get off the expressway into Poorland. <laughs> the Piv. Yeah. Right. They don't want to be late for the boxing matchup, so they get really wacky and go off for Anyway, uh, now you're up to speed. I'll talk about the artists a little bit. Uh, Mud Honey. Mud Honey was always one of the punkiest grunge bands. They're kind of like the Ramones or Motorhead in that they have basically one sound. And whenever they write good enough songs, that one sound is super fucking awesome. Are you referring to their amazing song, Good Enough, or was that unintentional? I don't know. Okay. Mud Honey has a song called Good Enough. It's incredible. Oh, okay. Sweet. It's I don't remember enough, all of them. It's probably called Enough Good or like Good, oh, good no, for it's, Me. It's uh, yeah, one whatever, more time Dave. Is good. <laughs> oh, I, oh, yeah. It's probably, no, called, yeah, it's yeah, probably yeah. called One More Time. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, Dave. Uh, track three from Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge. 
Uh, yeah, Mudhoney has a snotty sense of humor also, which which makes him a good fit for Sir Mix-a-Lot's overall vibe. Uh, this is one of the few songs on the soundtrack. We covered a couple of the other alternative bands, but most of the songs are going for this gritty urban nightmare kind of vibe. You know, they're wandering through the Irish projects of Chicago. Not yet at this point. Most of the songs yes, are trying to make you feel like yes, you're wandering yes, through yes, the, yes. The, the Irish project yeah, in Chicago. When this they're in the project. definitely not. No. They're uh, getting wacky. Um, Sir Mixlot said in Rolling Stone magazine, I was wondering when we'd bring rap and rock together in a big way because the fans are a lot alike. I was nervous going into the studio. It's something I've never done. There was, uh, there I was, with a dude on guitar, bass, and a motherfucker on drums. Yeah. That was strange as fuck to me, man. Strange as fuck! I think he did well. This, uh, this we- is the song that drove me away from uh, the soundtrack because I like Mudhoney so much and I listened to this and I thought Sir Mix-a-Lot's unforgivable line I'm gonna stick you in the mud honey was just so embarrassingly off the mark that I just I stopped listening to this album it was album. a shout out to the band yeah also, they, yeah also no one has ever accused Sir Mix-a-Lot of subtlety yeah, Sir Mix-a-Lot was having fun he's the one guy in this entire album who's having fun he likes big butts and boobs yeah who you doesn't and if you squint and compare their voices he's like a fat iced tea <laughs> Sir Mix-a-Lot never misses the mark you take that back Mr. Lyons I will not Swass is great, but his sweaty ass ruins this entire song for me. Could have been a great song without him. What? What? Hey, this is great. Fun fact: we, I wrote a pilot a few years ago called Ricky Dick's Rock Docs that we shot, and I, I wrote, great locations. I wrote, yeah, it really was. I wrote a sketch based on this song that we didn't shoot, but I should put it on the Patreon site so you guys can read it. How this song came to be, I think it's a pretty good script. That's uh, about the uh, the river raft. Yeah, yeah. And don't don't give yeah. anything away. I'm and just teasing a little. We're gonna start to slowly uh, bring out the myth of, of Ricky Dick's Rock Docs. Uh, to you folks until maybe we'll show it one day because it's totally uncommercial yeah judgment uh i'm gonna disagree with dave here i think sir mix seems like he wrote way more lyrics for his song than the other a lot of the other rappers here so i'm giving the judgment to him <laughs> we're tied up again four four All right, after this, I think we need to take a break from talking about Dinosaur Jr. <laughs> Never! I mean, I like him just fine, but this is like the fourth time they've come up, and we've only brought you Slayer once. Please consider this, fellas, when you're making uh, your lists. Uh, so this is Dinosaur Jr. No! And Del the Funky Homo Sapien with Missing Link. You all remember that Del the Funky Homo Sapien from the Hippie Hop episode was an underground hip-hop MC that caught his break when his cousin fucking Ice Cube let him write the lyrics for his band... The Lynch Mob. Uh, so, so everybody's clear. This is the second song played uh, when Dave's buddy Dell, the Dell character played by Jeremy Pippen, that makes total sense. He introduces his sweet ass RV to take them to the big boxing match. Uh, and that, so that's why there's still no sense of aggression. This, uh, yeah, this is a fun. This is one of the fun songs. Yeah, Dell's the guy that'll uh, hire a limousine for all of his friends, but then make you listen to Smash Mouth once you're inside. Your buddy. 
yeah. you buddy Dell, not Dell the funky yeah. homeless. That's not a funky no thing uh, to do. Uh, hey, I read a lot of quotes in Rolling Stone for the last three songs. It's yeah. kind of weird. Uh, but hey, you should do it again. Dell said, uh, Dell the funky Homo sapien said, it's cool about this album, but some of it's cool, but it's some alternative shit. I doubt that's the future of rap. And he was right. It was the future of garbage rock and roll. Corn and Incubus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what's weird is that this is pretty far afield of, of that. It's true. Like, like there's other stuff that sounds more like that stuff. This feels like milk toast grunk to me. Like, like Pearl Jam's Dirty Frank. It's like something grungers might throw in a B-side of a pile of garbage. It sounds nothing like Dinosaur Jr. No, this, it, 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 because it sounds fun. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is one of the funnest sounding things Dinosaur Jr. ever did. Sure. Yeah, I I have to admit I was ready to shit all over this song until I saw a video of them playing on Arsenio. Uh, it was kind of incredible, incredible in the sense it was a perfect slice of 1993. I think one of them was even wearing cross colors. But this is why I always try to watch the videos and not just listen to the album. Because on the album I just heard a rather standard Dinosaur Junior riff, and don't get me wrong, I like it, but I've heard it. And then I heard Del come in rapping about how he's a really great MC and how he doesn't tolerate bad MCs. Most don't. It's my least favorite kind of rap. You know, just talking about how cool somebody is. I found the entire thing. Who do you think they are? I. Find the entire thing to be insanely boring. That's not it, Steve. It's just it's so much cooler to have somebody else tell you how cool you are than for you to go around telling people. It's a manners cool thing so, for you. So if it's like this other guy in my rap group, he's so cool. Exactly. I like what he raps like, in the I style like of old school. Guy. Yeah. yeah, that guy's great. I'll listen to his raps all day long. <laughs> my raps are okay in a rap song. Yeah, I mean my I your raps are okay. I do just fine <laughs> rapping, but this guy is the he, shit. He ain't no sucker. MC. He's, he's an unsucker MC. Uh, I found the song to be pretty boring, but then I watched uh, the video. Uh, Jay Maskus playing guitar, fucking Mike Watt on bass, and Mike D on drums. Three dudes I dig with Dell out front. From the Beastie Boys, Mike D? Yeah. Cool. I feel like this is going to influence And, and Mike Watt from the fucking uh, Minutemen. Um, it took me back to my junior year of high school when this came out, and I got nostalgic. Now that I think about it, it's probably just because I saw Mike Watt. Because that dude was in the fucking movie. Yeah, he was. Double nickels. And Firehose. Yeah. And solo Mike Watt. Um, yeah. Dave, do you have a judgment on this one? Yeah, I gotta give it to, um, I gotta give it to Dell. Because, ah. uh, because Dinosaur Jr. is just so fucking boring in the song. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now, rappers just took the edge, uh... Uh, five four. Five six four? Five four. Five four, yep. This next one's gonna be a interesting one. Can any mm. winner come out out of this one? I know. <laughs> this is a therapy and fatal. Uh which is the rapper and which is the rocker? I don't know. I haven't heard of either of them. <laughs> so let's dig in deeper and find out. This song is called Come and Die by Therapy and Fatal. <laughs> so this is uh this is song number ten. Played after spoiler alert, fast talking uh Dave's buddy Dell, Jeremy Piven, mm-hmm. um, is thrown off a building uh still in Scary Town. Uh they're still in Scary Town, but they're surviving. This is the end of Act Two. So there's only one song left. And one act left. And uh, anyways, I, I'm guessing they don't end up in another project because they need a whole new soundtrack to fill it. Uh, anyways, the, uh, luckily this is the point where the score takes over and it becomes Predator 2 after this. Okay, so thanks for... Uh, Sorry, that no, was it's too okay. much. No, thanks for that because it gave me time to research this. Okay, so Therapy? They're the rockers, okay? They're a grungy band from Northern Ireland. 
and sampling some of their work around this time, it seems like they hey, hear some Motorhead, some Ozzy maybe influencing the lead vocals. I had a hard time pinning down a cohesive, describable sound for them. Howdy. They do have a Wikipedia page and are still around into the 2000s. Yeah, I remember them having an MTV hit around this time. I don't remember what it's called, but I remember it came from the album Trouble Gum. It was called um, uh, Screamager. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's so bad. So Fatal is trickier, and I'm glad this one fell on to me to research instead of Dave because he would have gotten it wrong. It's very, very hard to get right. Not true because I read the same AV Club article that you did where you got all your Rolling Stone quotes from. <laughs> um, so I had to do some digging. Wikipedia has nothing on this Fatal, who usually performed as Joe Fatal. If you go to Wikipedia, you run into Hussein Fatal, who is a totally different guy yeah, and also was, goes by Fatal. He ran around with Tupac. Probably. Uh, I even found a big fight on the Discogs forum after somebody changed the credit on the Judgment Night soundtrack to the wrong Fatal, Hussein, and someone linked to the BMI records to show that it was, in fact, Joe Fatal who was rapping on this song. Drama! There is some drama on the Discogs forum. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome. It's like Wikipedia forums, uh, but with music. So it's fun. So Joe Fatal, the Fatal in this song, is not even popular enough to earn a Wikipedia page. Uh, we know we know how we know how that feels, Fatal. Uh, so it seems like his most notable performance is on something called Live at the Barbecue uh, by someone named Akinayle. Oh, from wait, the main source cut? I, I don't know. Akinayle? Do you know Akinayle? I, th- I, th- I think Live at the BBQ is a main source joint with it's like a big posse thing. It has okay. Akinayle and on it with some other people. Our Fatal is on there. <laughs> Yay! Um, so if anything on this album is filler, I think it's this song. <laughs> My judgment goes to the rockers on this one, though. Fatal's rapping is so ho-hum. Uh, and they even let uh, therapists? <laughs> Andy Cairns, the lead singer, actually rap, and rap sing a little bit. And uh, the singers of the rock bands don't get many chances on this album. Yeah, this is kind of this is the least interesting song on the album, I think. Yeah. So I'm giving this to... Um, uh, uh, and sadly, Steve, you're going to love this. Oh, I am? The other Fatal, the one that has nothing to do with this song, died in a car accident uh, in 2015. Why am I going to love that? I don't love it when people die. Then why do you, you always to, bring it up? I love to talk about it in Because the death comes for us all. Um, so we're... Stay, I'm keeping it real. Oh, we're tied up. Five yeah, to five. five, five. Wow. I, I didn't add that up. This is great. Yeah, we, we had no idea we'd be wow, in this we position. Got, we got one more left. Time for Who's the real take it? This is This is, uh, is going to be a tough one. That bumper by Hunter Stare. Oh, just go to hunterstare.bandcamp.com. I was about to a, ask. You get a, this site is not does not exist because Hunter doesn't make music. No, just bumpers. <laughs> My episodes. This is the other least interesting song on the. Yeah, on the it album. really is. Okay, finishing things up, we got the real thing by Pearl Jam and the aforementioned Cypress Hill. Uh, so this song was the reason why I bought the album. I would buy anything that had to do with Pearl Jam at the time. Me too. Um, and I remember how boring this song was when I heard it. No Eddie Vedder? What yeah. the fuck? Also, they're not funky. No. I'm sorry to say. Very frank. Uh, but remember how lucky we were with the single soundtrack? There were two songs in there that were better than anything off their second album. Yeah. yeah. Still yeah. loving trust is a <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that one. 
so the sense of magic that you don't get on this uh, when you know when contrasting artists try to make a song together, uh, and you hear that on most of the songs, you hear that magic. You don't hear it on this, and the reason is uh, because apparently they didn't record this together. Yeah. I guess DJ Muggs sent Stone Gossard. Nothing but the real thing. Sorry, there's just a classic scent dog. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> they, sent, they they sent Stone Gossard a generic beat, uh, which he put together with the band, and he sent it back, and they put raps to it. Put the raps to it! <laughs> uh, easy peasy, hand me a sack full of money, you know what I mean? That's how they did this. Easy peasy! I mean, you send dog has the best job in rap. I know. He doesn't have to think of anything unless but, he, like, really feels like it. Well, yeah, him and Flavor Flav, I feel no, like. Flavor, Flavor Flav would get his own song once in a while. Oh, yeah, oh, I guess he I did 911 as a joke. Oh, he did, he did. Unless unless there's another guy in Cypress Hill and those two, send dog gets, I think this is it. He gets a whole verse by himself. He always got, he always got he always a few got a raps. Verse. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I didn't listen to enough Cypress Hill. But yeah. this song doesn't, it, like, there's kind of Pearl Jammy bass and guitar, but, like, it does not sound like a Pearl Jam it song. It's a, it sounds very generic. And okay, so um, kind of plotting. So this song misses. Uh, well, I'll leave that for the end. Um, so as far as I know, this and I, wait, I do know this because I double triple checked it. This is not played in the movie. This is not played in the movie because I even checked the credits and it's not listed. Um, this is almost like a bonus track. Then it is. It really was. Which is Cypress probably, Hill. Cypress Hill is the only artist with multiple songs. Yeah. Here. I also feel because it's the last song on the album. I feel like it's like, man, Pearl Jam gave us a song, but it sucks. Let's keep it on the movie. Yeah. Put it at the end. It and was then just for the marketing. Hun- the Hunter Stairs will buy the album. Yeah, yeah, it was just for marketing, and I and they probably didn't pay Pearl Jam enough to put it actually in the movie, mm-hmm. just onto the soundtrack. They couldn't right. get the syncing rights. Yeah. Um, so this isn't even in the movie. Um, do you guys have anything to say about the song before I make my judgment? Uh, um, Send Dog said to Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the Rolling Stone review of the Thank album. Thank you, Rolling so a lot Stone, of good for, quotes. For your... um, the Pearl Jam shit is dope because we put hard b-boy rhymes on top of some heavy metal sounding shit. That's kind of the idea of what the soundtrack is, yeah. yeah. We were talking real street shit like we always do. It's true. They were always talking real street shit. But I don't, street shit! I don't think I don't think Send Dog heard this song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Final judgment. Wow, and this will. Yeah, and so basically, night. basically, what you have with these two bands here is they're both not going too far, trying that much. They're not going mm-hmm. too far out of their wheelhouse, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, it definitely sounds like generic Cypress Hill, and it sounds like the na 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 nas. I guess sound like a Pearl Jam, something that would be in the Pearl Jam mm-hmm. thing. But it's just it's yeah. it so- doesn't sound like very good Pearl Jam. Uh, this song misses that thing that Kim Gordon provided, and Mike Patton provided, mm-hmm. and, and what's another example of uh, of a uh, one of the singers? Anyways, um, but anyways, they he they didn't. Pr- he, Eddie Vedder could have fucking made this interesting. Yeah, yeah. basically, um, it was a boring Pearl Jam song. They made a they if if it was just that, it would have been a, what their worst song ever. Um, a, anyways, it could have been so much better. So with that said, uh, Pearl Jam could have could have been anyone else on this album. Mm-hmm. Didn't it didn't matter if they were Pearl Jam. So the points by default have to go to Cypress Hill, and that ultimately means that rap won the uh, battle. Whoa, judgment <laughs> no! <laughs> Congratulations, rappers. Uh, now I want to listen to good Pearl Jam. State of Love and Trust. Yeah! 
What may, what what did we miss? Uh, well, yeah. So so here's the thing. Uh, there's a street legal version of the soundtrack. It was called Street Legal. Uh, it was a clean radio promo that had remixes of Another Body Murdered. And now after you said that uh, that that was the highest charting song, I I want to say the clean version without as much Mike Patton as the one that charted. Yeah. Um, uh, and I actually think that may have been the version that played during the credits. Uh, and there's just another victim dubbed the Devil Worship uh, mix, which is completely different. Also, while I was checking to see if the real thing was in the movie, uh, there was two other songs that were that were credited that weren't on the soundtrack, and they were "Ain't That a Shame" somewhere in the beginning there, and a janitor sings "Let's Stay Together" by Al Green at the end, <laughs> both not on the soundtracks. Yeah. All right, hey, <laughs> hey, good job, guys. Hey. Record Thanks, Club, man. I like Record Club episodes. I do too. I In do fact, too. I think we should do more Record Club episodes and maybe debut them exclusively on Patreon for yeah. a while, for a few months, and then we'll, yeah. we'll pop them on as a mini of the regular feed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sounds good. Uh, and, and this didn't go that bad. I think we we're regretting this one a little bit. Yeah. I, I know I was. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And next week, we're going on a cake hunt. Ah! Cake hunt! Songs where the singer is bragging about unremarkable accomplishments, as if they're searching for some sort of celebratory cake. I didn't finish my story, JD. I did the dishes yesterday uh-huh. and pointed it out to my wife. Like, hey, look, I did the dishes. And she's like, what, do you want a fucking cake? Yep. You were on a cake uh, hunt. Yeah. If you wrote a song, I did the dishes, you'd have a cake hunt yeah. hit. I think that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We've got to be trying to do with that is get in the zeitgeist. With when somebody says something like, hey, hey, check out my new phone. Oh, what do you want, a cake? Uh, yeah. We want that to be and your response. Did, did, you on a cake hunt? Didn't the title come from me uh, misremembering a Sebado album? Yeah, well, we'll get into the backstory <laughs> next week. So uh, do us a favor. Go out and buy the Judgment Night soundtrack. Judgment Night! I'd love for these poor artists to get a couple extra bucks, <laughs> especially <laughs> Joe Fatal in yeah, therapy. Yeah, therapy. Yeah. Uh, go to yachtrock.com, buy t-shirts, read the captain's blog, see show notes by Tim Malcolm. Follow him on Twitter at Timothy Malcolm for fun facts. Speaking of the captain's blog, we haven't mentioned this, but there were two Billy Joel pieces that were fun. Yeah. An argument between Libby Cudmore and Michael Grasso, mm-hmm. and then uh, Timothy Malcolm did a great Billy Joel thing on his album 52nd Street. Yeah, we had a Check bit of a Billy up. Joel week. Yeah, an accident. And the, and the do it with the same week the uh, new new op came out. Yeah. So check those out. Uh, send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Follow JD at JD Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow Dave at David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Just get the heck on iTunes and give us a review. I want to be a very popular podcast. Yeah, and for your crying reviews out help loud. us do that. Um, and if you write a Yacht or Yacht request in uh, in a review, you get you get the same sort of priority that patrons get. Uh, thanks to Jason Siren for sending in the bumpers. Thanks, Additional, Jason. Uh, the themes are by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Uh, recorded today by our old friend Matt Brousseau. Go way back. Uh, thanks to Justin, Jason, Noah, Kristen, and the entire Feral Audio family. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com. I judge this Pearl Jam song to be excellent. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Judgment Night. Feral Audio.